What's up, what's up, what's up? I'm in Rob Podcast. Welcome to another episode. In this episode, we're going to be reading from a book sent to me by one of my really good friends, Melanated God King, who sent me this PDF called Queen Moon and the Ancient Egyptian Sphinx. So one of the things that he pointed out to me right away was that the Mayan hieroglyphics were based on the Egyptian hieratic hieroglyphics. So I'm going to read an excerpt from the appendix where I discovered this information. And I will also read from chapter one of this book. So it says, let's scroll up. All right, let's start here. Okay, it says, will anyone object to the fact of a small colony of civilized immigrants establishing themselves in the midst of barbarous peoples and growing in the course of a few centuries so as to form a vast and powerful empire, exercising great influence on the populations within its limits and even beyond? To such objection, it may be answered, history repeats itself. Without speaking of the origin of the great kingdoms whose history forms our ancient history, let us cast a glance at what happens around us. See what has occurred in the same countries within the last 250 years. From Fort St. George and the small settlement called Madras on the narrow strip six miles long and one mile deep, bought by the English in 1639 on the coast of Coromandel in the peninsula of Decane, and for which they had to pay as tribute every year the sum of 1,200 pegidas or about $2,500 has not the East India Company by little and little extended its domains until in our day, after a lapse of only two centuries and a half, they have become the rich and the mighty British Empire, whose viceroys now rule part of the same territories conquered in olden times by the Nagas and governed by their kings or kings. Are not the English today endeavoring to obtain a foothold in Afghanistan where, as we have already seen, the names of cities and localities are identical with the names and villages and places in Yucatan, some of which are actually inhabited, others being in ruins. For instance, Kabul is the name of the Afghan capital and on the river on the banks of which it stands. It is likewise that of a celebrated mound in the city of Izamal in Yucatan. On its summit once stood a temple dedicated to the miraculous hand. It was famous throughout the land, even to the time of the Spanish conquest. Father Coguludo, in his Historia de Yucatan, says, To that temple they brought their dead and the sick. They called it Kabul, the working hand, and made great offerings. The dead were recalled to life, to life and the sick were healed. The Nahuatls, who settled in the northwestern parts of the peninsula of Yucatan, about the 6th century of the Christian era, used to offer at that temple human sacrifices to obtain from the god the benisons that they sought. This fact we learned from a mezzo relievo in stucco that adorned the frieze that ran around the temple. It represents a man with Nahuatl features. His body is held in a posture that must have caused great suffering. His hands are secured in stocks. His elbows rest on the edge of a hollow support. His empty abdomen is propped by a small stool. His knees touch the ground, but his feet are raised and wedged by an implement 
His intestines hang from his neck and shoulders. His heart is strapped to his thigh. It is much to be regretted that since the author took the photograph here reproduced, this figure with its accompanying inscription has been purposely destroyed by the owner of the premises because he considered it an annoyance to have interested parties coming to see it. This is but one instance of that lack of appreciation manifested by the people of Yucatan regarding the interesting and historically important remains that make the peninsula famous and attractive. It is lamentable that the Mexican government authorities take no steps towards compelling the preservation of ancient works of art, even in their deteriorated condition. The legend on the right in front of the figure translated verbatim reads as follows. Utimkan uj nu ukol uksmal ta oks uk. Freely translated, the thrice bent man, the altar welcomes the crushed body lying face downward of the man from ukmal. It is well to notice that all signs forming this legend are Egyptian as well as Mayan. That therefore anyone able to read Egyptian inscriptions can, without difficulty with the aid of a Maya dictionary, translate it as well as I. This proves that the ancient Mayan hieratic alphabet discovered by me and published in 1886 side by side with the Egyptian on page 12 of the introduction of my book, Sacred Mysteries Among the Mayans and the Quiches, is a true key to deciphering some, at least, of the Mayan moral scriptures, notwithstanding the slanderous aspersions of Dr. Brenton and his assertion on page 15 of his premier Mayan hieroglyphs that I have added nothing to corroborate the correctness of the interpretations. But may I ask why he has not verified them? Has he no Maya dictionaries? The trouble with him is, judging from his own books, that he knows personally nothing on the subject. Is he not utterly ignorant of the true meaning of a single Maya character when in composition with other signs to form words and sentences? Can he decipher one single sentence of the Maya books? Does he even know Maya as spoken today? How then does he dare to attack the knowledge of those who by hard study during several years past among people who speak nothing but Maya have made themselves familiar with the subject and set himself up as an authority on what he does not know? Let him not lose sight of the fact that we are no longer in those times when the people, as Bishop Senecius says, wish absolutely to be deceived. Today's honest inquirers after knowledge object to being gold by mere pretenders, even if these boast of the titles of doctor and professor in the university. We know that the ancient Mayans were serpent worshippers. They worshipped the serpent, not that they believed it to be wiser than or intellectually superior to, any other animal, they had too much good sense for that, but because it was the emblem of their country, the contour of which figures a serpent with an inflated breast like the Egyptian Uraeus, for which reason they called it the Nohak Khan, the great serpent. The serpent was the emblem of Mayak, as the eagle is that of the United States, the lion of England, the bear of Russia, the cock that of France, etc. Judging from their descendants, in our day, the ancient Mayans must have been fanatical lovers of their country. The titles of their rulers was Khan, Serpent, as Khan is to this day that of the kings of Tartary, Burma, and other Asiatic countries, as it was that of the emperor of China, even in the days of Marco Polo, and its emblem is still a dragon. Like the Egyptian kings, the Mayan Khans were initiates to the sacred mysteries performed in the secrecy of their temple. All right, so what this said 
what I learned from that was that um, a lot of the the towns in Afghanistan have Mayan names, and I never knew that until I read this book. And they use the example of Akbal. All right, so for example, the Akbal, the city of Akbal in Afghanistan, um, contains the Mayan names, and it's very interesting that there has been a war in Afghanistan since two thousand one. Um, and they have been, you know, basically deliberately trying to destroy all the ancient artifacts over there in Afghanistan. So very, very interesting. Um, now I'm going to read the preface. All right. So the preface, it says to accept any authority as final and to dispense with the necessary necessity of impendent investigation is destructive of all progress. What you have learned, verified by experience, otherwise learning is vain. In this work, I offer no theory. In questions of history, theories prove nothing. They are therefore out of place. I leave my readers to draw their own emphasis from the facts presented for their consideration. Whatever be their conclusions is no concern of mine. One thing, however, is certain. Neither their opinion nor mine will alter events that have happened in the dim past of which so little is known today. A record of many of these events has reached our times written by those who took part in them in a language still spoken by several thousands of human beings. There we may read part of man's history and follow the progress of his civilization. The study in situ of the relics of the ancient Mayas has revealed such striking analogies between their language, their religious conceptions, their cosmogonic notions, their manners and customs, their traditions, their architecture and the language, their religious conceptions, the cosmogonic notions, the manners and customs, the traditions and the architecture of the ancient civilized nations of Asia, Africa, and Europe, of which we have any knowledge that has become evident to my mind at least, that such similarities are not merely effects of hazard, but the result of intimate communications that must have existed between all of them, and that distance was no greater obstacle to their intercourse than it is today to that of the inhabitants of various countries. It has been and still is a favorable hypothesis with certain students of ethnology that the Western continent, now known as America, received its human population, therefore its civilization from Asia. True, there is a split in their ranks. They are not quite certain if the immigration in America came from a Tartary across the Strait of Bering or from the Hindustan over the waste of the Pacific Ocean. This, however, is of little consequence. There are those who pretend like Klaproth, that the cradle of humanity is to be found on the plateau of Pamir between the high peaks of the Himalayan ranges. Renan and Bartholomew St. Hilier, who place it in the region of Timaeus, in the countries where the Bible says the Garden of Eden was situated. While others are equally certain men came from Lemuria, that submerged continent invented by P.L. Slater, which Hakel believes was the birthplace of the primitive ape man, and which they say now lies under the waves of the Indian Ocean. The truth of the matter is that these opinions are mere conjectures, simple hypotheses, and their advocates know no more when and where man first appeared on earth than the newborn babe knows of his surroundings or how he came. The learned wranglers of this shadowy and dim point forget that all leading geologists now agree in the opinion that America is the oldest known continent on the face of the planet, that the fossil remains of human beings found in various parts of it far distant from each other, prove that man lived there from times immemorial and that we have not the slightest ray of light to illumine the darkness that surrounds the origin of these prime primeval men. Furthermore, it is now admitted by the generality of the scientists 
that man, far from descending from a single pair located in a particular portion of the Earth's surface, has appeared on every part of it where the biological conditions have been propitious to his development and maintenance, and that the production of the various species with their distinct, well-marked anatomical and intellectual characteristics was due to the difference of these biological conditions and to the general forces calling forth animal life prevalent in the places where each particular species has appeared and whose distinctive marks were adapted to its peculiar environments. The Maya sages doubtless have reached similar conclusions since they called their country Mayak, that is, the land first emerged from the bosom of the deep, the country of the Shute, and the Egyptians, according to Herodotus, boasted that their ancestors in the lands of the West were the oldest men on earth. If the opinion of Lyell, Humphrey, and a host of modern geologists regarding the priority of America's antiquity be correct, what what right have we to gainsay the assertion of the Mayas and of the Egyptians in claiming likewise priority for their people in their country? It is but natural to suppose that intelligence of man was developed on the oldest continent among its most ancient inhabitants and that its concomitant civilization grew apace with this development. When, at the impulse of the instinct of self-preservation, men linked themselves into clans, tribes, and nations, History was born, and with it a desire to commemorate the events of which it is composed. The art of drawing or writing was then invented. The incidents regarded as most worthy of being remembered and preserved for the knowledge of the coming generations were carved on the most enduring material in their possession, stone. And so it is that we find today the cosmonic, magonic, and religious notions, the records of natural phenomena and predominant incidents in the history of their nation and that of their rulers sculptured on the walls of the temples and palaces of the civilized Mayas, Chaldeans, and Egyptians, as on the sacred rocks and in the hollowed caves of primitive uncivilized man. It is to the monumental inscriptions into the books of the Mayas that we must turn if we wish to learn about the primeval traditions of mankind the development of civilization, and the events that took place centuries before the dim myths recorded as occurrences at the beginning of our written history. Historians, when writing on the universal history of the race, have never taken into consideration that of man in America and the role that in remote ages American nations played on this world stage and the influence they exerted over the populations of Asia, Africa, and Europe. Still, as far as we can scan the long vista of the past centuries, the Mayans seem to have had direct and intimate communications with them. This fact is indeed no new revelation, as proved by the universality of the name Maya, which seems to have been as well known by all civilized nations thousands of years ago as is today that of the English. Thus, we meet with it in Japan, the islands of the Pacific, Hindustan, Asia Minor, Egypt, Greece, Equatorial Africa, North and South America, as well as in the countries known to us as the Central Americas, which in those times composed the Maya Empire. The seat of the government and residence of the rulers was the peninsula of Yucatan. Wherever found, the name Maya is synonymous with power, wisdom, and learning. The existence of the Western continent was no more a mystery to the inhabitants of the countries bordering on the Mediterranean than to those whose shores are bathed by the waves of the Indian Ocean. Velmiki, in his beautiful epic, the Ramayana, says that in times so remote, 
the sun had not yet risen above the horizon. The Mayas, great navigators, terrible warriors, learned architects, conquered the southern parts of Indo-Chinese Peninsula and established themselves there. In the classic authors, Greek and Latin, we find frequent mention of the great Saturnian continent, distant many thousand stadia from the pillars of Hercules toward the setting sun. Plutarch, in his Life of Salome, says that when the famous Greek legislator visit, visited Egypt 600 years before the Christian era, Sonchus, a priest of Sais, also Sinopis, a priest of Heliopolis, told him that 9,000 years since, the relations of the Egyptians with the inhabitants of the land of the West had been interrupted because of the mud that had made the sea impassable after the destruction of Atlantis by earthquakes. The same author, again in his work, De Feci in Orbe Lunae, had Sila recount to his brother Lampius all that he had learned concerning them from a stranger he had met at Carthage returning from the transatlantic countries. That the western continent was visited by the Carthaginians was a few years before the indicting of Plato's Atlantis, the portraits of men with long beards and Phoenician features, discovered by me in 1875, sculptured on the columns and ante of the castle of Chichen bear witness. Diodorus Siculus attributes the discovery of the Western continent to the Phoenicians and describes it as a country where the landscape is varied by very lofty mountains and the temperature is always soft and equable. Procopius, alluding to it, says it is several thousand stadia from Ogygia and encloses the whole sea into which a multitude of rivers descending from the highlands discharge their waters. Theopompus of Chios, speaking of its magnitude, says, compare with it, our world is but a small island. And Cicero, mentioning it, makes use of nearly the same words. Omnis inintere que colitir abobis parba quedem est insula. Aristotle, in his work, De Miribale Australitaio, giving an account of it, represents it as a very large and fertile country, well watered by abundant streams. And he refers to a decree enacted by the Senate of Carthage toward the year 509 BC, intended to stem the current of immigration that had set toward the Western lands, as they feared it might prove de detrimental to the prosperity of their city. The belief in the former existence of extensive lands in the middle of the Atlantic and their submergence and consequence of seismic convulsions existed among scientists even as far down as the 5th century of the Christian era. Proclus, one of the greatest scholars in antiquity who during 35 years was at the head of the Neoplatonic school of Athens and was learned in all the sciences known in his days, in his commentaries on Plato's Timaeus says, the famous Atlantis exists no longer. But we can hardly doubt that it did once, for Marcellus, who wrote a history of Ethiopian affairs, says that such and so great an island once existed, and that it is evidenced by those who compose histories relative to the external sea. For they relate that in this time there were seven islands in the Atlantic Sea, sacred to Proserpine, and besides these, three of immense magnitude, sacred to Pluto, Jupiter, and Neptune, and besides this, the inhabitants of the last island, Posaudinus preserved the memory of the prodigious magnitude of the Atlantic island as related by their ancestors and of his governing for many periods, all the islets in the Atlantic Sea. From this isle, one may pass to other large islets beyond, which are not far from the firm land near which is the true sea. 
it is well to notice that like all the Maya authors who have described the awful cataclysms that caused the submergence of the land of Mu, Proclus mentions the existence of 10 countries or islands as Plato did. Can this be a mere coincidence or was it actual geographical knowledge on the part of these writers? Inquiries are often made as to the causes that led to the interruption of the communications between the inhabitants of the Western continent and the dwellers on the coast of the Mediterranean after they have been renewed by the Carthaginians. It is evident that the mud spoken of by the Egyptian priest has settled in the course of centuries and that the seaweeds mentioned by Hamilco has ceased to be a barrier sufficient to impede the passage since the Carthaginians reached the shores of Yucatan at least 500 years before the Christian era. These causes may be found in the destruction of Carthage of its commerce and the ships by the Romans under Publius Scipio. The Romans never the Romans never were navigators. After the fall of Carthage, public attention being directed to their conquests in northern Africa and western Asia and in Greece, to their wars with Totons and the Cimbri, to their own civil dissensions and to the many other political events that preceded the decadence and disintegration of the Roman Empire. The maritime expeditions of the Phoenicians and of the Carthaginians, their discoveries of distant and transatlantic countries became well nigh forgotten. On the other hand, those hardy navigators kept their discoveries as secret as possible. With the advent and the ascendancy of the Christian church, the remembrance of the existence of such lands that still lingered among students as that of the Egyptian and Greek civilizations were utterly obliterated from the mind of the people. If we are to believe Tertullian and other ecclesiastical writers, the Christians during the first centuries of the Christian era held in abhorrence all arts and sciences, which like literature, they attributed to the Musis and therefore regarded as artifices of the devil. They consequently destroys all vestiges as well as all means of culture. They closed the academies of Athens, the schools of Alexandria, burned the libraries of the Serapian and other temples of learning which contain the works of the philosophers and the records of the researchers in all branches of human knowledge, the power of steam and electricity not accepted. They depopulated the countries bathed by the waters of the Mediterranean, plunged the populations of Western Europe into ignorance, superstition, fanaticism, threw over them as an intellectual mortuary pall, the black wave of barbarism that during the Middle Ages came nigh wiping out all traces of civilization, which was saved from total wreck by the followers of Mahomet, whose great mental and scientific achievements and attainments illumined the night of intellectual darkness as a brilliant meteor, too soon extinguished by those minions of the church, the members of the Holy Inquisition established by Pope Lucius III. The inquisitors, imitating their worthy predecessors, the metropolitans of Constantinople and the bishops of Alexandria, closed the academies and the public schools of Cordoba, where Pope Sylvester II and several other high dignitaries of the church have been admitted as pupils and acquired under the tuition of Moorish philosophers, knowledge of medicine, geography, rhetoric, chemistry, physics, mathematics, astronomy, and the other sciences contained in the thousands of precious volumes that form the superb libraries, which the inquisitors wantonly destroyed, alleging St. Paul's example. Abundant proofs of the intimate communications of the ancient Mayans with the civilized nations of Asia, Africa, and Europe are to be found among the remains of their ruined cities. 
Their peculiar architecture embodying their cosmogonic and religious notions is easily recognized in the ancient architectural monuments of India, Chaldea, Egypt, and Greece, in the great period of Giza, in the famed Parthenon of Athens. Although architecture is an unerring standard of the degree of civilization reached by a people and constitutes therefore an important factor in historical research, although it is as correct a test of race as is language and more easily applied and understood not being subject to changes, I refrain from availing myself of it in order not to increase the limits of the present work. I reserve the teachings that may be gathered from the study of the Mayan monuments for a future occasion, restricting my observations now principally to the Memorial Hall at Chiquen, dedicated to the names, the names of Prince Cole by his sister wife, Queen Mu, and to the Moselum erected by her order to contain his effigy and his cremated remains. In the first, she caused to be painted on the walls of the funeral chamber, the principal events of his and her life, just as the Egyptian kings had the events of their own lives painted on the walls of their tombs. Language is admitted to be a most accurate guide in tracing the family relation of various peoples, even when inhabiting countries separated by vast extents of land or water. In the present instance, Maya still spoken by thousands of human beings and in which the inscription sculpture on the walls and the temples and the palaces and the ruined cities of Yucatan are written, as are also the few books of the ancient Maya sages that have come to our hands will be the thread of our that will guide us in the following the tracks of the colonists from the Mayak and their peregrinations. In every locality where their name is found, there also we meet with their language, their religious and cosmogonic notions, their traditions, customs, architecture, and a host of other indications of their presence and permanency and of the influence they have exerted on the civilization of the aboriginal inhabitants. My readers will judge for themselves the correctness of this assertion. The reading of the Maya inscriptions and books among the very interesting subject reveals the origin of many narratives that have come down to us as traditions in the sacred books of various nations and which are regarded by many as inexplicable myths. For instance, we find in them the history of certain personages who, after their death, became the gods most universally revered by the Egyptians, Isis and Osiris, whose earthly history, related by Wilkerson and other writers who regarded as a myth, corresponds exactly to that of Queen Mu and her brother-husband, Prince Ku, whose charred heart was found by me preserved in a stone urn in his mausoleum at Chiquen. Osiris, we are told, was killed by his brother through jealousy and because his murderer wished to seize the reins of the government. He made war against the widow, his own sister, whom he came to hate bitterly after having been madly in love with her. In these same books, we learn the true meaning of the tree of the knowledge in the middle of the garden of the temptation of the woman by the serpent offering her fruit. This offering of fruit as a declaration of love, which was a common occurrence in the everyday of life of the Mayans, Egyptians and Greeks, loses all the seeming incongruity it presents in the narrative of Genesis for a lack of a word of explanation. But this shows how very simple facts have been and still are made of use by crafty men such as the high priest Hilkiah, to devise religious speculations and impose on the good faith of ignorant, credulous, and superstitious masses. It is on this story of the courting of Queen Mu by Prince Ak, the murderer of her husband, purposely disfigured by the scheming Jewish priest Hilkiah, who made the woman 
appear to have yielded to her tempter, perhaps out of spite against the pre the prophetess Huda, she having refused to countenance his fraud and to become his accomplice in it, that rests the whole fabric of the Christian religion, which since his advent in the world has been the cause of so much bloodshed and so many atrocious crimes. In these Maya writings, we are also met with the solution of that much mooted question among modern scientists, the existence, destruction, and submergence of a large island in the Atlantic Ocean, as re related by Plato in his Timaeus and Critias, in consequence of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Of this dreadful cataclysm in which persisted 64 millions of human beings, four different authors have left descriptions in the Mayan languages. Two of these narratives are illustrated that contained in the Troinal MS and the other in the Codex Cortesianus. The third has been ingrained on stone relief and placed for safekeeping in a room at a building at Tikin, which exists today, sheltered from the action of the elements and preserved for the knowledge of the coming generations. The fourth was written thousands of miles from Mayak in Athens, the brilliant Grecian capital, in the form of an epic poem in the Maya language. Each line of said poem formed by a composed word is the name of one of the letters of the Greek alphabet rearranged as we have it 403 years before the Christian era under the archership of Euclides. Fleeing from the wrath of her brother, Ank Queen Moon directed her course toward the rising sun in the hope of finding shelter in some of the remnants of the land of Mu as the Asuris, for instance. Failing to fall in love with such place of refuge as she was seeking, she continued her journey eastward and at last reached the Maya colonies that for many years had been established on the banks of the Nile. The settlers received her with open arms, called her the little sister Isis, and proclaimed her their queen. Before leaving her mother country in the West, she had caused to be erected not only a memorial hall to the memory of her brother husband, but also a superb museum in which were placed his remains and a statue representing him. On top of the monument was his totem, a dying leopard with a human head, a veritable sphinx. Once established in the land of her adoption, did she order the erection of another one of his totems? Again, a leopard with human head to preserve his memory among her followers. The name inscribed on the base of the Egyptian sphinx seemed to adjust this conjecture. Through the ages, this Egyptian sphinx has been the enigma of history. Has its solution at last been given by the, Maya, the ancient Maya archives? In the appendix are presented for the first time in modern ages, the cosmogonic notions of the ancient Mayans rediscovered by me. They will be found identical with those of other civilized nations of antiquity. In them are embodied many of the secret doctrines communicated in their initiations to the adepts in India, Chaldea, Egypt, and Samothracia, the origin of the worship of the cross, of that of the tree and of the serpent, introduced in India by the Neges, who raised such a magnificent temple in Cambodia, in the city of Angarthom, to their god, the seven-headed serpent, Akakachapat of the Mayans, and afterward carried his worship to Akkade and to Babylon. In these cosmogonic notions, we also find the reason why the number 10 was held the most sacred by all civilized um, nations of antiquity and by the Mayans, who in their scheme of numeration adopted the decimal system, did not reckon by tens, but by fives and twenties, and why they used the 20 millionth part of half the meridian as a standard of lineal measures. 
in the following pages, I simply offer to my readers the relation of certain facts I have learned from the sculptures, the monumental inscriptions carved on the walls of the ruined palaces of the Mayas, the record of which is likewise contained in such of their books as have reached us. I venture only such explanations as will make clear their identity with the conceptions of the same subjects of the wise men of India, Chaldea, Egypt, and Greece. I do not ask my readers to accept an a priori my own conclusions, but to follow the sound advice contained in the Indian saying quoted at the beginning of this preface. Verify by experience what you have learned. Then, and only then, form your own opinion. When formed, hold fast to it, although it may be contrary to your preconceived notions. In order to help in the verification of the facts presented herein, I have illustrated this book with photographs taken in C2, drawings and plans according to actual careful surveys made by me of the monuments. The accuracy of said drawings and plans can easily be proved on the photographs themselves. I have besides given many references whose correctness it is not difficult to ascertain. This is not a book of romance or imagination, but a work, one of a series intended to give ancient America its proper place in the universal history of the world. I've been accused of promulgating notions on ancient America, contrary to the opinion of men regarded as authorities on American archeology. span And so it is indeed. Mine is not the fault, however, although it may be my misfortune, since it has been surely entailed upon me their enmity and its consequences. But who are those pretended authorities? Certainly not the doctors and professors at the head of the universities and colleges in the United States. For not only do they know absolutely nothing of ancient American civilization, but judging from letters in my possession, the majority of them refuse to learn anything concerning it. It may be inquired on what ground can those who have published books on the subject in Europe or in the United States establish their claim to be regarded as authorities. What do they know of the ancient Mayans, of their customs and manners, of their scientific or artistic attainment? Do they understand the Maya language? Can they interpret one single sentence of the books in which the learning of the Maya sages, their cosmogonic, geographical, religious, and scientific attainments are recorded? From what source have they derived their pretended knowledge? Not from the writings of the Spanish chroniclers, surely. These only wrote of the natives as they found them at the time of and long after the conquest of America by their countrymen, whose fanatical priests destroyed by fire the only sources of information the books and ancient records of the Mayan philosophers and historians. Father Lopez of Coguido in his Historia of Yucatan frankly admits that in his time, no information could be obtained concerning the ancient history of the Mayas. He says of the peoples who first settled in this kingdom of Yucatan or their ancient history, I've been unable to obtain any other data than those which follow. The Spanish chroniclers do not give one reliable word about the manners and customs of the builders of the grand antique edifices that were objects of admiration to them as they are to modern travelers. The only answer of the natives to the inquiries of the Spaniard as to who the builders were invariably was, we do not know. For fear of wounding the pride of the pseudo authorities, shall the truth be learned from the works of the Maya sages and the inscriptions carved on the walls of their deserted temples and palaces be withheld from the world? Must the errors they propagate be allowed to stand and the propagators not be called upon to prove the truth of their statement? The so-called learned men of our days are the first to oppose new ideas and the bearers of these. 
this opposition will continue to exist until the arrogance and self-conceit of the superficial learning that still hover within the walls of colleges and universities have completely vanished until the generality of intelligent men taking the trouble to think for themselves cease to accept as implicit truth the ipsy dipsit of any quantum who pretending to know all about a certain subject pronounces magisterially upon it until intelligent men no longer follow such blindly self-appointed teachers always keeping in mind that to accept any authority as final and to dispense with the necessity of independent investigation is destructive of all progress for as dr paley says there is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance the principle is contempt prior to examination okay we're almost done we got two more pages i'm almost done all right the question is often asked of what practical utility can the knowledge that america was probably the cradle of man civilization be to mankind to some of but little use truly but many there are who will be glad to know the origin of man's primitive traditions recorded in sacred books in the shape of myths or legends and what were the incidents that served as basis of on which has been raised the fabric of the various religions that have existed and do exist among men have been and still are the cause of so many wars dissensions and persecutions this knowledge would also serve to disclose the source whence emanated all those superstitions that have been and are so many obstacles in the way of man's physical intellectual and moral progress and to free his mind from all such trammels and make of him what he claims to be the most perfect work of creation on earth also to make known the fact that the mayak not india is the true mother of nations then perhaps will be awakened in the mind of those whose power it is to do it a desire to save and preserve what remains of the moral inscriptions carved on the walls of the ruined palaces and temples of the mayas that are being torn to pieces by individuals commissioned by certain institutions in the united states and other places to obtain curios to adorn their museums regardless of the fact that they are destroying the remaining pages of ancient american history with the reckless hand of ignorance thus making themselves guilty of a crime of Lee's history as well as iconoclasm. Perhaps also will be felt the necessity of recovering the libraries of the Maya sages hidden about the beginning of the Christian area to save them from destruction at the hands of the devastating horrors that invaded their country in those times and to learn from their contents the wisdom of those ancient philosophers of which that preserved in the books of the Brahmins is but the reflection. That wisdom was no doubt brought to India and from there carried to Babylon and Egypt in very remote ages by those Maya abdets, Na'akal, the exalted, who, starting from the land of their birth as missionaries of religion and civilization, went to Burma, where they became known as Neges, established themselves in the Deccan, whence they carried their civilizing work all over the earth at the request of friends and to show that the reading of the maya inscriptions and books is no longer an unsolved enigma and that those who give themselves as authorities on ancient maya paleography are no longer justified in guessing at or informing theories as to the meaning of the maya symbols or the contents of said writing i have translated verbatim the legend accompanying the image in stucco of a human sacrifice that adorned the friese 
of the celebrated temple of Kabul in Isamal. This legend I have selected because it is written with the hieratic Maya characters that are likewise Egyptians. Anyone who can read Egyptian inscriptions will have no difficulty um, translating said legend by the aid of a Maya dictionary and thus finding irrefutable evidence. Irrefutable evidence. So they're literally saying right here that if you know the hieratic Egyptian inscriptions, you will be able to translate the Mayan characters as long as you have a, a Mayan dictionary right here. All right. I'm just texting this to my friend right now because this is what he was telling me to to get from this book. And this is just the preface. You know what I'm saying? We haven't even got to the inscription. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to see how he breaks this down. I can't wait to see his research. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very grateful that um, this book has been digitized and preserved. And again, the pro the power of books is really real because I'm pretty sure this book came out in the 1800s. But, um, you know, I'm reading it right now. So it's just great that I can read it and, and get the knowledge and really learn the language and, you know, become fluent in it and teach others. Okay. That the Mayans and Egyptians must have learned the art of writing from the same masters. Who were these? That some of the ruined monuments of Yucatan are very ancient, much anterior to the Christian era, notwithstanding the opinion to the contrary of the self-styled authorities on the Mayan civilization. And three, we have a footnote, says, see Le Plongion's ancient Maya heretic alphabet compared with the ancient hieratic alphabet, Egyptian and sacred mysteries, introduction, page 12. Okay, so Le Plongion's Let's try to find La Plongion. Hold on, I'm gonna try to find that book real quick. I think I found it. Okay, I just found it. That's great. Okay. <laughs> okay, we found it, guys. We found it. We found it. All right, so let me exit this screen and come back and show you what I found on page 12. So... Stop sharing. 
And then this is what he was talking about on page, page 12 of Sacred Mysteries. Right here. Okay. So he says here, this is the ancient Maya hieratic alphabet according to moral inscriptions. And this is the ancient Egyptian hieratic alphabet according to Mercer's Champollion and Bulsen. And I did not know they were this similar. This is crazy. This is crazy, people. This is crazy. Crazy. All right. So I'm definitely coming back to this book um, soon. And so he basically wraps it up after this anyway, where he says, may this work receive the same acceptance from students of American archaeology and universal history as was vouchsafed to sacred mysteries among the Mayans in the Quiches. It is written for the same purpose and in the same spirit. Augustus Le Plongeon, M.D., New York, January 1896. All right. And then the next chapter starts with the origin of the Mayak. So I really enjoy this book. Um, I, I can now see the comparison between the Mayan hieratic alphabet and the ancient Egyptian hieratic alphabet. I had no idea that they were this similar, had no idea. So I'm very grateful to this doctor for writing this book um, so long ago. And I'm grateful to the person that sent me the um, information. So um, with that being said, um, I'm going to stop the podcast here and then we will pick up in chapter one in the next video. So thank you guys for tuning in and I will see you guys in the next podcast. Peace.